Well, welcome to Public Health Out Loud, public health for the public. So today's episode, long COVID, how long is long? I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Medical Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. And I'm Dr. Philip Chan. Thank you all for joining us. Hey, Dr. Philip Chan, how are you today? Dr. McDonald, I'm doing well. It's been a long week. It's great to get it. It has been a long week, hasn't it? It's funny, as we live through the pandemic, so much has happened this week. You know, it's actually an exciting time to be in public health. I mean, I think public health is always exciting, but when you have a new vaccine introduced, you got monoclonal antibodies to offer, and it's a global pandemic, this is the very definition of excitement in public health. It's very exciting. I think we're getting there. And I think uh, many people, some people may have heard, I'm officially in quarantine this week after being exposed. So it's been the first time all pandemic uh, I've been in quarantine. And I have to say, if this is the worst thing that happens to me, I'm doing pretty well. So it's been a long, long pandemic. But one of the things about this long, long pandemic is some people, the pandemic has really been longer than others. And it's really unfair. And there's sort of a forgotten few and maybe not that few, actually. So when we talk about long COVID today, it's thrilling to me to have Dr. Jenny Johnson with us today. So Dr. Johnson, thanks for joining us today. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Talk to you guys. Well, it's great to have you. You know, COVID is a new disease. It's been on the planet just a little over a year right now. Still admittedly a lot to learn. It's kind of a vexing disease for many. Um, you know, we see the end organ damage, consequence inflammation, There's a fair amount of folks in the hospital. Several folks have passed away. It's been really a global pandemic, but it really is interesting that there are some folks who just end up with this long COVID. And I think we just need to really today unpack what long COVID is, understand what it's about, and make sure that these these good people don't feel forgotten um, by medicine. Because I think it's important that when you're going through a new disease, you never want to feel forgotten. And it's funny because I think one of the things I think about, and this might just reflect a little bit more about me than necessary today, but like, a lot of times when I'm sick, together with the flu or cold or anything, usually at the beginning of my life, I'm like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to get better? This is just lingering. And it's just like, but it's one thing to be sort of whining and complaining like I'm doing over a few day illness. But these are folks that are that are really suffering for a long time. So it'll be good to understand more about what's going on and what we can do for them. Dr. Chan, let me turn it over to you for a little bit. Yeah, so thank you, Dr. McDonald. So Dr. Johnson, why don't you, before we get started here, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, what you maybe you did pre-COVID, uh, and where you currently are and, and how you're assisting in the pandemic. And then we'll get into the, the long COVID uh, questions in a moment here. Yeah, so um, I'm an infectious disease physician and assistant professor of medicine at the Alport Medical School. I'm also the associate medical director of Lifespan's uh, Infectious Diseases and Immunology Center. And I'm the director of the Lyme and Tick-Borne Infection Center. Um, Pre-COVID and post-COVID, my main academic interest is actually in vector-borne infections, which are infections that are transmitted by insects, uh, ticks, or mites. Um, But I'm also interested in zoonotic infections. Uh, These are infections that can jump species. That's uh, like like SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. Um, so those are some of my interests. I, you know, we know from experiences with 
um, other infections like SARS-CoV-2, MERS, and Ebola that um, some people experience ongoing symptoms and health problems despite the fact that they are no longer infected. Um, and these are called post-infectious syndromes. This is something that I'm particularly interested in. Um, Lyme disease is the most common vector-borne infection in North America. Um, and Rhode Island has one of the highest rates um, among all of the states. Lyme disease can cause a post-infectious syndrome uh, where patients suffer for months and sometimes years, even after the infection is gone. Um, and so this is called post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. And here at our clinic, at our Lyme clinic, we have lots of experience treating patients with this. Um, so you know, when we started to hear reports, especially early on in the pandemic come in about patients experiencing prolonged symptoms even after their initial infection had kind of gone away, this seems very similar. And um, so kind of got me to where I, you know, that's how I went from kind of pre-COVID interest to kind of where we are today in clinic. Ned, so Dr. Johnson, that's great. And I think, you know, kind of what I'd be curious about is can you help us understand what is long COVID you know, help us understand it. And I think you gave us a little bit of like how you got interested in this, but I have to just say, what really is long COVID? Yeah, so there's actually no official consensus um, as to the definition of long COVID. Um, it's also, um, you'll hear it called uh, post-acute COVID, but essentially what it is, is it's, it's when those have been infected with SARS-CoV-2 virus experience ongoing symptoms for weeks or even longer after their initial infection. Um, you know, fortunately, the most people recover quickly and have no long lasting symptoms. Um, but, uh, you know, more and more we're noticing that there's a small portion of patients who really do and really continue to suffer. Um, in the popular press, you'll hear um, these patients um, described as long haulers. Um, so SARS-CoV-2 uh, affects a wide uh, range of types of cells in our bodies. And so it can cause damage to our lungs, to our heart, our blood, breast, uh, blood vessels, brain, um, and immune system. Uh, it can also cause our immune system to overreact. I think you were talking about the inflammation. And so our immune systems are supposed to protect us, but can actually harm us if they're overstimulated and overactive. Um, therefore, you know, real damage can be done either initially by the virus or by kind of ongoing inflammation and immune response to the virus, even after the virus is gone. Um, and so this can take time to resolve and to heal. Um, and during that time, people can have ongoing symptoms. And most commonly, you know, what we hear, you know, symptoms of fatigue, shortness of breath, um, chest pains, palpitations, which is, you know, a sensation that your heart is fluttering or beating really fast. And um, also cognitive delay, which, um, you know, this, these are th this is something like memory loss or trouble concentrating. Some people describe it as brain fog. Um, and so, you know, we don't actually know exactly what causes these symptoms specifically. We, we think that it's ongoing inflammation um, and, and possibly, you know, damage to the, the different organs, but it's, um, uh, but it's, it's actually not known. And the other thing that's not known is how long these symptoms um, will last. And, you know, I think in addition to all of that, you know, being sick and um, isolated as Dr. Dr. Chan is in his quarantine, you know, being isolated and um, 
and alone can also cause depression and anxiety and ultimately lead to post-traumatic stress disorder. And then add to that the uncertainty of like how, you know, what is causing these symptoms and how long are they going to last, I think um, can really kind of compound these feelings. And um, so we know that those with prolonged hospitalizations um, and also those that were previously healthy and now kind of sick, um, you know, are especially vulnerable, but the psychological consequences of COVID-19 can affect everyone and contribute to um, the prolonged symptoms of long COVID. Thank you, Dr. Johnson. I'm just curious as you're talking there, you kind of uh, alluded to this. I'm not sure if you have a good answer for this, but what percent of people do you think or actually develop long COVID. I mean, here in Rhode Island, we have tens of thousands of people now infected. It sounds like what you're saying is that people with symptoms or severe disease are more likely to develop uh, uh, ongoing symptoms long COVID, which makes sense to me. But do you have a sense of how common this is? So that's a great question, and it's really hard to say. There's been a number of studies to kind of look at this where um, patients who have recovered um, have been um, sent surveys. Um, there was a, um, a, a study done actually in Italy in hospitalized patients um, that was done about two months after um, uh onset of symptoms. And at that time, more than half reported greater than three ongoing symptoms. Um, and those namely being fatigue, shortness of breath, and actually joint and muscle pains. Um, and 44% reported ongoing worsening quality of life. Um, but, you know, kind of the severity of those haven't been, uh, you know, weren't, uh, quantified. So, it, you know, um, so that seems like a high portion. We're not really seeing that in clinic. Um, additionally, there was a, a nice study um, that was actually done in the United States at uh, multiple different sites, which actually looked at people who were not hospitalized. So people who either got tested and never required hospitalization, or even some folks who were screened, um, meaning they didn't have symptoms, but they just wanted to get checked for one reason or another. And in that, um, the follow-up questions was, was a little bit shorter, it was about you know two to three weeks. But a third of, of, of patients, even just with mild symptoms, reported that they didn't, hadn't really returned to their usual state of health. And this included about a quarter of 18 to 20, or 18 to, sorry, I think it was 34-year-olds. So, um, you know, again, the severity of, of, of symptoms and kind of what leads people to kind of ultimately seek care is, is, is a lot less than kind of what we're finding in our studies. But we do know that a significant portion of people have residual symptoms that just take time to, to go away. Yeah, so Dr. Johnson, that leads me into kind of my next question. You know, it's interesting treatment is something that is really just beginning to start with COVID. You know, it, and I, I say that a little bit knowing that remdesivir got FDA approved a couple months mm -hmm. ago, which is great for people in the hospital. We saw dexamethasone, a drug that's been around for a long, long time, really have a, a role in the clinical setting, and that's been great. And then we also saw that monoclonal antibodies just really came into existence at their emergency use authorization about two, three weeks ago. So that's great too. But it makes me kind of wonder, for the patient with long COVID, do they get symptomatic treatment? Do they get better over time? Or what, what, are, what are the ideas we have so far for treatment for people with long COVID? 
Yeah, so the, the most um, two out of the three treatments that you mentioned, the remdesivir and the monoclonal antibodies, they're both treatments that really target an active viral infection. So they work the best really early on. So they're not something that, you know, we would use in long COVID. And the other thing that we found, especially, you know, with dexamethasone um, is that uh, in patients who didn't require oxygen, they actually um, could be harmed by getting dexamethasone. Because you think, well, maybe if long COVID is something that's being driven by ongoing inflammation, might that be uh, something that's beneficial? But, um, you know, it's, it doesn't really seem like that, especially early on in infection. Um, so that being all said, there are, there are not any specific treatments for long COVID. Um, and this is, this is for several reasons. Um, so including, you know, there's just not enough that's known about what it is and what actually causes and drives it. And also the, the presentation and organ systems um, involved um, vary greatly from person to person. So, you know, in we have here um, in our ID clinic, we have a long COVID clinic. And so we assess each patient and their individual needs. Um, we've actually enlisted um, champions um, and other subspecialties like cardiology, pulmonology, uh, neurology, psychology, physical therapy, and pulmonary rehab. So, um, you know, some patients will need to see these specialists um, and they'll require additional treatment, testing, and, and um, ongoing monitoring. Um, for others, treatments um, may be directed solely at their symptoms. Um, and then for some other, you know, folks, uh, they won't require any further treatment or testing. I think, um, you know, one of the frustrations voiced by patients experiencing long COVID is that um, oftentimes their follow-up tests will be normal, um, but, you know, their symptoms are nonetheless profound. Um, and it's in this stage of their illness when, you know, a lot of other people have recovered and they're still suffering that you know, asking for help can almost feel impossible. So really talking about it is important and validating their experience is especially crucial. Yeah, it's interesting, Dr. Johnson. I, you know, it's interesting, Dr. Chan and I were talking a little bit about this. You actually have a long COVID clinic already. And that's something I just need to observe a little bit because it's interesting, COVID is still a brand new disease. But I'm just curious, it sounds like you have a multidisciplinary clinic designed for these folks. So that's, to me, speaks volumes because you have enough people who needed this, but then you have access to specialists. And I'm just curious, how is that working? Um, well, it's slow and steady. So we just developed this about a month ago um, and assembled our multidisciplinary team. We've seen a, a few uh, patients in clinic. We're really trying to get out the word because it's not something that's widely known that this is available. So um, over the past few weeks, Dr. Joe Garland, who is the medical director of the uh, Infectious Disease and Immunology Clinic, and I have been reaching out to um, our colleagues in primary care to let them know that this is this is something that um, you know their patients have access to. So um, so I think you know again with now that we're kind of deep in the the second second wave that. Um, the, the need for this is going to become greater. So we wanted to, to be prepared um, to, to be able to, as quickly as possible, meet the needs of, you know, Rhode Island's population. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Johnson. I think on that note, just uh, curious about what you're seeing in the long COVID clinic. For example, 
Um, has anyone fully recovered? What are sort of the outcomes that you're you're seeing? I know it's still early on here, of course, but uh, any any thoughts on that question? Yeah. So again, we still only have a handful of patients that we're following, and um, just anecdotally, uh, it's it's a slow and steady trend towards improvement. Um, but, you know, at this time, it, there's very little known about the long-term outcomes of patients with long COVID. Um, and that's why, you know, we, again, set up this clinic to help patients, but also, you know, to help kind of collect information and, and eventually can contribute to the, the research that is out there. Great. And how would they make an appointment, actually, at the, the Lifespan Clinic that you're describing? So um, for patients, you can just ask your primary care provider to, to place a referral to the um, Infectious Disease and Immunology Center at Lifespan. There's no kind of special long COVID referral. It's just kind of a, a straightforward referral to the Infectious Disease Office. Great. And we sort of, you sort of talked about this a little bit at the beginning about the, the parallels to Lyme disease, but I'm just, I'm just curious. I, you know, I think what we've realized in infectious diseases, certainly as an infectious disease doc, is that there are a number of infections, right, over time uh, that uh, even once the infection clears, right, is that people do have sort of these post-infectious uh, complications, if you will. And that doesn't mean you're still infected. In fact, we think in a lot of cases, um, including Lyme disease, right, that people do not have active infection. It's really this sort of post-infectious syndrome. Any lessons uh, that you think that we can learn specifically from Lyme disease and, and, and the work that you've done there? I mean, so I think the main lesson, and again, it's too early to see if there, this is um, a good parallel with long COVID, although my suspicions is that it is, is that we know that, especially with post-treatment Lyme disease, that with time, people get better. And really, it's um, symptomatic, you know, treatment, um, encouraging people, supporting people in their recovery. Um, but they, they do ultimately get better. And, and that's what I try to convey to the folks that I follow in the long COVID clinic, um, is that, you know, again, I think... <sighs> part of the issue is there's just so much uncertainty. And that's, you know, um, there's already so much uncertainty to go along with the pandemic. But when you're not feeling well, and you and, and we don't know enough to say, you know, you're going to feel better in a month, you're going to feel better in three months. Um, uh, you know, I think that that kind of really impacts them. But I think, you know, with with post treatment Lyme syndrome, it's it's the it's kind of the same thing. We don't really have a great understanding of what drives it. But what we do know is people feel better. We don't, we can't tell them, you know, if it's in three months, six months, in a year, but, uh, you know, we can say ultimately, you know, the, the arc of progress bends towards just, you know, feeling a lot better. You know, Dr. Johnson, one of the things that I'm just thinking about is the word pathophysiology and just, you know, pathophysiology is really, you know, a simple way of talking about this, just simply what went wrong. Um, you know, what caused all this? And I guess, you know, one of the things I just still think about with SARS-CoV-2 and, and the disease COVID-19 is it's still a brand new disease. And, and so much of this brand new disease, we just need to still keep learning about. But I guess one of the things I think about is the inflammatory cascade that leads to mortality and, and morbidity. Is, is that postulated to have anything to do with long COVID? Or do you think that the pathophysiology is something simpler or even a little different. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I mean, it's hard to say because again, long COVID is kind of it. It is so variable and individualized 
you know, for each patient. We do know in terms of, you know, there are, there are studies that have been done, you know, like let's pick an organ, like the heart that, um, you know, uh, post-infectious, um, uh, cardiac MRIs that have showed ongoing inflammation in the hearts. And this has even been done in athletes that, um, you know, young college age athletes who either tested positive just because they were screened, meaning they had no symptoms at all, or ones that had very mild symptoms. When they did follow up cardiac MRIs, they actually found ongoing inflammation in, in, in the heart. And, um, and so I think that there's certainly, you know, a component of that and kind of what's driving that is, is not clear at this time. But I think that, you know, while we're not going to get a cardiac MRI in every patient because there's not really much to do other than time and kind of watching, um, watching folks and supporting them through that time. But um, I, you know, I, I think that we, it's not necessarily something that we can measure. um, But, uh, you know, it's there and how long it lasts, you know, we don't know. That's just yet to be determined. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Johnson. And I just want to want to put you on the spot here for a second. I know certainly as an infectious disease doc, you've been involved with this since the beginning. So thank you again for all your your hard work addressing this pandemic here, and certainly to our ID colleagues uh, throughout the state. Just curious, uh, lessons learned. What has surprised you most about the pandemic so far? Is there one or two things you can put your finger on here? No, well, first and foremost, I was surprised and impressed that Baby Yoda was such a strong public health advocate, uh, you know, with Dr. McDonald on Facebook. Um, Go Baby Yoda. Go Baby Yoda. Yoda. I do. I do. I I, honestly, I've been so impressed with the Rhode Island Department of Health and and, um, kind of every year campaigns and everything you've done to get out information and um, set up testing and all of that. But, um, you know, I think um, I think what has most pleasantly surprised me is how many, having multiple effective vaccines now. I mean, I think that there was was and continues to be an enormous global effort in developing and testing um, these vaccines so quickly. Uh, I listened to podcasts on my way to work and um, today there was one about the rollout yesterday of the vaccines and last night I was looking at pictures of you know across the country of Americans getting vaccinated and it's really hard not to get emotional I think um, you know for the first time it really feels like there's a light at the end of this very long tunnel and, and I can't wait to hug my mom mm, I love that you know it's interesting you talk about hugging your mom I think that's one of the things that is also just one of the stories of the pandemic. You know, my mom turned 85 a couple of weeks ago. We had all kinds of plans to go visit, but we had to do a Zoom visit uh, because it just wasn't safe to go in person. The, the big thing about this pandemic is it's just the, the isolation and the lack of connectedness. Um, and that's been problematic for a lot of us. I think it really has been, you know, kind of a big thing. So we're rapidly coming to the end of our time together, Dr. Johnson. It's been great to have you. And if someone's wondering why Baby Yoda got referenced here is because one of the things I have to say about Yoda is one of those scenes from, from Star Wars was the whole expression of try, there is no try, there is do or do not. And I think with the pandemic, when we talk about public health recommendations, so often what we're saying to folks is you've got to be fastidious with your infection prevention. It's do or do not, there is no try. Because quite frankly, teen virus just does not care if you're not wearing your mask, it goes and infects you and causes all kinds of problems there. And I think that's one of the things about teen virus. They're very unified. And I, I think one of the things that I just seen with the pandemic is really underscoring how easy it is 
to spread the virus from one person to another, how hard it is to change human behavior, to get everyone to adopt new strategies, just really hard. And that's not something that was new to us in public health. But I think we also see a small percentage of folks, particularly in the United States, a little bit of Europe as well, where personal liberty for them really trumped public health recommendations. So going forward with public health recommendations was just really a challenge for some. And I think that's part of why the pandemic's been perseverated as long as it has in the United States. So with that, I'm going to go to Dr. Chan to see what his final word is today. I always look forward to your final word, Dr. Chan. Great. Thank you, Dr. McDonald. And thank you again, Dr. Johnson. So I leave everyone with this. I think this pandemic uh, in many ways feels like a marathon. It's been a long 2020 for sure. We still have a little ways to go. And we're at a very tough time in the pandemic with the second peak. Cases are through the roof. Hospitals overcrowded. Uh, we have opened up our field hospitals. But I'm also reminded that the most difficult part of a marathon is right before the end. So let's continue to be hopeful and optimistic. Uh, we have vaccines coming, as Dr. Johnson mentioned, and I love it. I just can't wait to hug my mom either. We're going to get through this. Thank you all and be well. Thank you. We want to thank Jose Garcia, our executive producer. We want to thank Carol Stone, our technical director. I'm Jim McDonald, medical director, Rhode Island Department of Health. Thank you. Have a good day.